Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday morning time together here at the Digital Cathedral. It's always good to spend some time together with like-minded people that are running in the same direction on this journey that you and I are on together. If this is your first Sunday with us here at the Digital Cathedral, we want to give you a special welcome. Hope that you stay with us for the weeks that are ahead and that you uh, join us in everything that we're discovering in this tremendous trip that is based on grace and the finished work of the cross. I want to begin this morning over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. Familiar verse, I know that you know the verse, but I just want to get our thinking going in the direction that I feel we need to go in this morning. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19 says this, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits, I like that eagerly waiting business, Creation eagerly waits for the revealing, the King James says the manifestation, New King James, the revealing of the sons of God. I think the bullseye right now in the Father's, in the Father's plan, the Father's target right now, the bullseye is, is the full, unlimited, unhimited, uh, uninhibited manifestation of the sons of God. Now, what, is it, what, what, what does it mean when I say the manifestation of the sons of God? means this. It means that we do more than talk about it. It means uh, that we do more than just gather good teaching and, and further revelation of what it means to be a son. It means that we actually begin to demonstrate the things that we're talking about. It means that we become evident in who we are. It means that we begin to produce the fruits of being a son of God to those people that are watching and observing everything that we do in our life. Now, this is, this is something that you never encountered in the mainline church. Mainline church never talks about Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. I don't believe in all of my years growing up in the church. I don't believe even in the time that I was educated at the preacher factory. I don't think I ever heard anything about the manifestation of the sons of God. And the reason for it is because that's not the emphasis of the evangelical church. The thrust of the evangelical church twofold is the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. So when you are discipled in the evangelical church, basically what they're doing is indoctrinating you to the rapture, the second coming. They're cloning you. Uh, basically, they're producing another pew setter. And I know what I'm talking about because I was, I was in that system for years. And I knew what I know what discipleship was all about. It was getting people trained to where they would file in and file out every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, make sure they had their tithe checked in the envelopes that we provided for them, and to teach them that anything and it's a subtle teaching, but to teach them that anything they heard other than what we had um, indoctrinated them with and had emphasized over the years was heresy. So you didn't get involved in things like manifestation of the sons of God. There was a movement back in the 50s called the manifestation of the sons of God. And there were some things about it that might have been a little bit quirky. So anytime that phrase was used, it automatically went back to that group of people that were a little bit off center in their teaching. But there's there's no getting around the fact that Romans 8.19, and Paul said that all of creation is looking for the manifestation of the sons of God. So basically, what, what, what we're doing is we're getting the view right. We're finding out what sonship really looks like. 
And now I believe the, the bullseye of the Father is not just to talk about it, not just to accumulate more knowledge and understanding. I believe it's to make it evident. It's to manifest it. It's to become observable in the lifestyle that we live. Evangelical church has not done that. And so what's evolved, as I just said, since the Reformation is, is cloning, is indoctrination. It's teaching people a system and anything outside that system is regarded as false teaching. And it's come down through basically two lines. It's come down through Calvinism and Arminianism. Those have been the two branches, and there's some variations of each, but neither Calvinism or Arminianism has really produced um, the product in the lives of people that I believe the Apostle Paul is talking about. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, we find out very plainly and clearly what it is that we are supposed to be producing. And this is what I want to produce here at the Digital Cathedral. Let me just read this and, and let's see the, the gaping hole that for 1,500 years has still stood there and nobody has filled the gap, but things are changing. It says in Ephesians 4:11, and he gave some, speaking about Jesus, to become apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now here's what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Does that sound to you like anything that's been taking place in the last 1,500 years? Have the saints been equipped to do the work of the ministry? All we've done is equip the saints to sit. We've equipped the saints to be fearful that somehow they're going to miss God, that they're going to be left behind. We have not endeavored at all to bring people into the unity of the faith. And we certainly have not been bringing people to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, that is what I think the call for the manifestation of the sons of God is all about. You have been selected. You have understood things that people have not understood for generations. You've understood grace, finished work of the cross, uh, there are mysteries that are being revealed. Continue. Revelation is flowing like I've never seen in all of my years of living. And I think it's to bring us to one end. And that is the manifestation of the sons of God that we might bring the body of Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In fact, in the evangelical church, if you talk about coming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, even, even intimating that that's a possibility, that's looked upon dimly, if not as being totally heretical. But there's a new sheriff in town. It's not, it's not Armenianism. It's not Calvinism. New sheriff that's in town is called grace. And I'm talking about grace that is radical. It's hyper. It's pure. Uh, it, it's the grace that is poured out upon us without our doing. It's imparted. It's imputed. It comes in varying levels and depths and degrees of consciousness. Uh, the grace that I'm talking about, this new guy that's in town that's taking the world by storm, uh, plays no favorites, uh, but it's direct deposited. It's not earned. It's imputed to all of us, and you will never reach its outer limits. That's the power of this message that we're, we're teaching. Well, there's a lot of things that come off the grace message that we've discovered. I want to talk about those in just a minute. But I want you to understand that there's no depths, there's no limits to what the grace message will take us to. In fact, you cannot plummet the depths of pure, radical, hyper-grace itself. 
If you want a good passage of scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10 really lays out this message extremely well. If you're ever in a place where you need to teach a Bible study, or maybe you have a group of people that you work with, this is a powerful passage of scripture. Uh, I think maybe one of the best of Paul's writings in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10, where he just lays it out so plainly, so clearly. So let me, I, I want you to understand that there's, we will never get to the end of the grace message. I know there are people today that feel they've outgrown the message. You cannot outgrow it. You cannot outgrow. Jesus came full of grace and truth. If you're going to outgrow grace and you're going to outgrow Jesus, and I know some people feel like they've outgrown Jesus, they've gone on to other things, they'll be back. Like, like the lady says on TV, they'll circle back. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read these verses for you. And I want you just to get a glimpse of what this grace message is all about. And then we're going to carry it a little bit further this morning. This is one of those foundational teachings that I, I don't want us to ever veer from. I don't want us to ever uh, feel like we've outgrown it. So I'm going to bring out some things this morning that the manifest manifesting sons of God need to manifest. Is that fair enough? I'm going to give you four, four or five things that every son of God that is manifesting, here's what you need to manifest. But before I do, let me lay down some foundation here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. So powerful. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. How, how rich is his mercy? How, how much is this love that he has for us? He tells us in verse 5 that even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So how, how deep is the love and the mercy, this grace that God extends to us? Even when we were dead, had no interest in this, he took it upon himself to make us alive in Christ Jesus. Now let's, let's go on here, verse six. Not only that, but he raised us up together. When we were still in that situation of being dead in trespasses, he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now watch this, verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The only thing that the Father is going to demonstrate in the ages to come is his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I mean, it just says it so plainly in verse 7, that in the ages to come, not just age, but ages to come, he will show us his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That faith, the faith that saved you is not your faith. I'm just going to lay an axe to that root this morning. It's not your faith. It is the gift of God, verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, if you don't understand anything in, the, in verses 4 to 9, if it, it's mind-blowing. To me, it puts your mind on tilt to see how deep, how powerful this love and this grace that God has for us. But in verse 10, he just, he puts the cherry on top of the Sunday. I never heard this taught ever in my whole life. In fact, I never taught it. And I read the Bible, I don't, I, through, I don't know how many times, but I'm, I never, I never really took this verse and taught just what it plainly says. Watch, watch what verse 10 says. Here's the love, the grace, the goodness of God that extends to all of us without, without our meriting it, without our earning it, without our hoop jumping without keeping laws, rules, regulations. Here's what he says about us. Here's the way we need to see us. Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship. Listen, 
created in Christ Jesus. Did you ever hear that before in church? Did your pastor ever tell you that you were created in Christ Jesus? He told you you were separated from Christ Jesus at birth and you needed to do something to close that gap. You needed to pray the magic prayer. You needed to make a confession of faith. That's not what Paul said. He said, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, when this revelation hit me, this was to me was the revelation of revelations. This, this grace that is um, given to us unconditionally, without, without our effort, it's just his goodness toward us. When I first began to see it, I said, this is too good to be true. There's got to be, there's got to be a hook in this. There has to be something I need to do. I need to be obedient. I need to love him. I need to have faith. Something I got to do. But that's not, that's not the grace. It's unfair. His grace is totally unfair. It has no favorites. And like I say, it has been direct deposited into your life. You don't receive it. It's just there. If you don't want it, too late. He's already given you the grace. There's nothing that you can do about it. So when I began, when I began to, to, to see this message, it freed me up from a lot of things in my life. I spent all my life trying to please God, trying to do the right thing, trying to make sure that I didn't sin. Then if I sinned, I would, you know, try to get it straightened out as fast as I possibly could. I was quick to repent. A lot of us, before we went to bed at night, would say, Father, if I've done anything today that's displeased you, please forgive me. Because you know that old prayer you prayed when you were a child, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I didn't. I, I wanted him to make sure he had my soul if something went on during the nighttime and I died in my sleep, right? So you just keep a short list of things that you consciously, knowingly did wrong. That's how we lived. That's how we lived. But this freed me. This was revolutionary in my life. And it began a journey that I had absolutely no idea where it would take me, but it started the journey. So when I got this, when I got a hold of this, of this message of grace, uh, and I got a deeper understanding of it, and that's why I call it hyper radical pure grace, because everybody believes in grace. But the grace we taught in the evangelical church had a hook in it. And the hook was this. God will pour his grace out if you obey him. If you love him, then he will extend grace to you. It all was based on a performance that we first did, and then he responded to that performance with his grace. And I began to see some things. I began to read my Bible. It was like I was reading a, a, a Bible I'd never read before. I saw things, saw verses, saw scriptures, like it was, I was reading the Bible for the first time. It was like a brand new book. My eyes were opening to a whole lot of things, but everything I discovered came off this original point. The, the, the origination was grace. Everything that I began to discover. And so I look at grace today, it's a great highway. As we travel down this highway of grace, there are exits we take off of, there are discoveries we make and they're all good, but it all comes off the foundation of, of, of grace. And so on this foundation of grace, I begin to construct some pillars that I see that Paul constructed when I read Paul's writings, when I read from, um, you know, Romans on through all of Paul's writings, there would be pillars that Paul would bring. He would bring revelation, but it was always on this foundation of grace. And I began to discover some of those things. 
So I want to I want to give you four or five pillars this morning. There's four, and there's a fifth one that's developing, and this is not the end of the story. There'll be pillar six, seven, and eight. I'm sure it, it'll continue on. But there's some things that I believe that are built upon this foundation of grace that are non-negotiables for the manifested sons of God to begin to show the culture in which we live. And I want to talk about those this morning. You say, well, I, I've heard this before. I, I, I know you've heard it, but you're going to take it deeper this morning. You're going to hear some, some, some things that maybe you never heard before because the spirit of truth is going to speak to you. So th here are some things that the sons of God need to demonstrate as they manifest. Now, let me just say, these are non-negotiables. This is the package of grace. This is what it breaks down to. All right, let me, let me give you the first pillar. First pillar is the universal fatherhood of God. The first thing that I began to discover out of the shoot from grace was that father claimed everybody as his offspring. Until this is settled, until this is settled in our, in our thinking, in our theology, we're still going to have insiders, outsiders, those that have it, those that don't have it. We're going to have believers, unbelievers, right? You're going to have people uh, that you don't count worthy because they haven't done something. I want you to see this morning that the, the, the first pillar that we build off this foundation of grace is the universal fatherhood of God. There's only two groups of people in my thinking. There's believers and there's pre-believers. There's people that are believers and there's people that will be believers shortly. And shortly could be, you know, a thousand years. But in the, in the span of eternity, that's a very short time. So there's believers and pre-believers. Every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And why, why is that going to happen? Because God has claimed us as his own. You have his DNA running through your veins. We manifest and we embrace by grace that every person is God's offspring. Can you let that sink in this morning? Let it sink in. Now, what, what does this do? I tell you what it is for me. It allows me to see every person as the Father sees them. And I have learned that the more grace that I receive, the more grace I can give other people. It's much easier to give grace to people when you know that you're living under grace. The Father sees everybody having an identity as divinity. He does not see us by behavior. He does not see us by what we do. He sees us by what we be. Now, there's a couple of scriptures that just nailed this down for me. Uh, again, a lot of these scriptures I'm going to give you this morning, I never saw in over 30 years of pastoring. It wasn't until the last 12, 15, well, almost 20 years of pastoring that I saw some of this. Uh, uh, but I went for years and years. Went to school, got degrees, never saw any of this. A lot of these verses never saw before. For example, Ephesians 4, 6. Universality of the fatherhood of God. Ephesians 4, 6 says that there is one God and Father of all, who is above all, who is through all, and in all. Right? That, that, that just nails it down. I don't know how you can refute that. And then when Paul talked to the, to the idol worshipers over on Mars Hill, he said that we're all the offspring of God. And he pulled, pulled those idol worshipers right into that group as being included in the offspring of God. Now, when you understand that, that, that eliminates the magic prayer as the doorway into sonship. And it eliminates you having to keep the church rules and laws, the Baptist church, charismatic church, United Pentecostal, wherever you went, there were laws, rules, regulations that were expected for you to keep. This eliminates that. 
because there's one God and Father of all. We're all the offspring of God. Paul, Paul hammered that down so tight. He's the father of all of us that to the degree that Paul, again, included the idol worshipers. So you and I can include those that have been excluded. It's by, it's by grace that we've been Ephesian, Ephesian 1 Ford. Ephesian 1 Ford. We've been Ephesian 1 Ford. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's, that's good news. That's the gospel. See, the gospel is Ephesians 4, 6. The gospel is grace. You carry the Father's DNA, which opens up this area of all things are possible. It, it, it opens up you being able to move to a level of consciousness you never knew existed before. Jesus demonstrated union with the Father, and pre-cross, he told the disciples, he said, disciples, here's how I want you to pray. Our Father. He didn't say, pray Jesus' Father. Again, he pulls them in and says, I want you to pray our Father. So the first thing that I think as a manifested Son of God that we need to manifest to our culture in our world is the universality of the fatherhood of God. When we talk to people, we need to let them know God is their Father. They don't have to pray the prayer. They don't have to make a profession of faith. They don't have to walk the aisle. They don't have to ball and squall and plead and confess all their sins. It is something, it is a choice the Father made on our behalf. That's grace. That's where grace takes us. Second thing that grace took me to after the fatherhood of God was the unconditional love of God. The unconditional love of God. Jesus demonstrated. It's the second pillar. Jesus demonstrated and he unhooked all the hooks that religion had put on God's love. And I think this is our assignment as well, is to let people know that God loves them unconditionally without conditions. As manifested sons of God, we have to avoid in our manifesting, telling people God loves you if, God loves you but, God loves you when, or any other condition, any other thing that they have to do, God just loves them unconditionally. That means there's no condition on it. This, this whole grace thing, see, what grace takes us into are places where there's no, no conditions, where, the, where there's absolutely nothing that we have to do because of everything that he has done. And this is big, the unconditional love of God. People feel like God doesn't love them. People never been told God loves them unconditionally. And yet it's so, it's so plain in Romans, you know, and we read it, we read it, but we didn't see it. Watch this. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things come, height, depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He even mentions death there. So one of these weeks, we're going to take that up because death's not the end of the story. I know you've been taught it is. I know that you've been taught that you better make the decision before you die because once you die, it's all over. That's not what that's not what Scripture teaches. He just told us right here that even death cannot separate us from the love of God. Do you think the love of God is going to abandon you just because your flesh suit drops? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, we, we haven't been taught that again. See, we've said, yeah, God loves us unconditionally. But privately, when we blow it, when our actions don't measure up, when our attitudes aren't Christ-like, there's a tendency that we feel condemnation. We don't feel loved. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And I just told you, you were in Christ Jesus because he created you there. 
He placed you there before the foundation of the world. So in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Only separation you're ever going to feel, Paul said, is right there in your mind because of wicked works. You feel separated, but there is no separation. See, this is the message. We need to manifest this. People wonder, how do I manifest as the Son of God? Okay, we've looked at two ways. Universality of the fatherhood of God and letting people know that they're unconditionally loved. Our love to him is always a response to his love to us. And so our love to other people is an overflow of the love that we have experienced in our own life. So here's the thing. The more you understand that God loves you, the more you experience that love, the easier it is to love other people. All right, number three. Here's pillar number three. It's the pillar of inclusion. There's nobody left out. Everybody is included. The fifth, the fourth, the third pillar, I'm sorry, is the pillar of inclusion. As sons of God, we have to manifest inclusion. What does that mean? It means that we embrace people that the church left out. Huge amount of people that the church has left out. People groups. Uh, people that are living a lifestyle that the church does not like, we include. We don't exclude anybody. There's no insiders. There's no outsiders. Inclusion means all. None excluded. Inclusion is the operative word of the gospel, right? That, that, that is the operative word of the gospel. Inclusion on the foundation of grace sees everybody in Christ without, again, without the dues. We include them. Now I'm going to rattle off four or five scriptures that just shows us how inclusive the gospel really is. Now I'm giving you things this morning that as sons of God, we need to, these are basic manifestations that we can put out there where people look at us and say, you're different than other people that I've encountered that name Jesus, that claim Christ, all right? This should make us different. Universality, fatherhood of God, unconditional love, and we include everybody. Now here's some scriptures you probably never heard in church. There's, there's, we didn't hear the good stuff. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. Watch this. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So whatever you think Adam did, whatever they told you down to the church house that Adam did, Jesus reversed it. Whatever they told you came into the human race because of Adam, last Adam totally annihilated. If all died in Adam, then all are going to all are going to live in Christ. Now watch. Here's let me, now let me just use a couple of verses that were used to show separation and that we needed to do something. Look, look at this. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You know this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, that, that was a verse that was used to get you to the front, to get you to pray the prayer. But we never, we never read verse 24 with it. Yes, all have sinned and come short of the, of the glory of God. But verse 24 says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So verse 23 is the problem. Verse 24 is the solution. So here's my question. Is the justification that came freely to you greater than the sin that all has committed? Is the blood of Jesus, is the sacrifice of Jesus more than enough to make up for any missing the mark that all have done? In verse 23, 
Then we have this one over in, in uh, Romans chapter 6. See, if, you, if you're going to read Romans 3.23, you better read verse 24 because verse 24 is the grace that has been given to us. Didn't say you had to do anything to get verse 24. It said it's been freely deposited, freely given to us. So wherever there's a negative, wherever the church has grabbed onto a negative to try to drive division within us, Paul comes right along and says, wait a minute, here, let me, let me shore that up. Because where sin abounded, grace super exceeded. That's what Paul said. Watch this one in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. We see this one again. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Right there, you got it, buddy. If you die in sin, you're... If you die in sin, you're going to hell. See, the wages of sin is death. That's true. It, the wage doesn't come from God. The, the wage, first of all, comes from the seed that is within the sin. You rob the bank, you're going to prison. That's the wage, that's the wage that you get paid for the sin you committed. Right? Doesn't say you're going to hell, but if you still have that mindset, the rest of the verse says this: the wages of sin is death. But Whatever you see a but in scripture or a therefore, you want, to, you want to pay particular attention. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So yes, the wages of sin is death. You may suffer some of that wage, but it's not, it's not going to outdo the, the gift. So again, let, let me ask you, which is greater, the wage or the gift? If you think the wage is greater than the gift, then what a slap in the face to Jesus. What, what, what a slap to the cross. What a slap to the reconciliation that he brought the entire cosmos into. The gift is always greater than the wage. The redemption is always greater than the sin. Always greater. And that's exactly what Paul told, told, the, told the, the, the people over at Mars Hill. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, you can read it for yourself. I do want to read Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Because this, this, I think this helps us just to nail it down. Colossians chapter 3 verse 11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. Listen, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. Very inclusive. And I've talked to you about the Scythian. They're the most barbaric, unevangelized people in, in the frozen tundra of Russia. And Paul threw them in, just in case anybody had any doubt. Christ is all, and Christ is in all. We cannot, we cannot ignore this, this pillar of inclusion. This pillar of inclusion. All right? the, the, the fourth pillar is this. The fourth pillar that I think is extremely important is this pillar that says mercy endures forever. We're looking at some strong pillars. Now, let me, let me just repeat. All of this comes off of grace. All of this comes off the, the favor of God. All this comes because he has loved us, because he has claimed us, he has nurtured us. And this all took place before the foundation of the world. This was all a setup. This was a setup. Do you, do you honestly think that an omniscient, omnipotent creator of the entire universe would devise all of humanity to have an end that was less than what he desired? Faithful is the one that began this who also completed. 
the one that knows the beginning from the end or the end from the beginning. When he started it all, he had the vision of what, how it would all end up. At the end of the day, when the smoke settles, the, you know, the dust clears, it's going to be exactly like Father declared it. And we're reading exactly what, how he declared it would be, that he would be, he would stand alone as the Father of all creation, that he would love all unconditionally, that every condition that religion has reared up and said, you, you must meet all these conditions. He's just going to wipe the board of, and our minds are going to be renewed to this. And he's going to say, look, nobody was excluded. When I put this plan together, I, Ephesian 1 forja, I put you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Paul put it like this, you died. Colossians, what is it? 3.3, 3. you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. If one died for all, then all die. If one died for all, then all died. His mercy, pillar number, number four, his mercy endures forever. It's new every morning. It's not limited to the length that you have life in this physical body. His mercy hangs on. His mercy endures. It, 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 there's no end to it. The goodness of God reaches everybody without limitation. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Without limitation. His mercy is new every morning. It's new every day. You, you cannot outlast his mercy. It endures forever. Mercy is a great trait of the first three, of the fatherhood of God, the unconditional love, the inclusion. All come on grace and mercy raises a pillar. It includes everybody. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 32. This is, this is a great verse. Romans chapter 11, verse 32. I might not get the wording exactly, but here's, here's the Keithley paraphrase. Romans eleven thirty two 32 says that God counted everybody disobedient. And if you read the preceding verses, he comes through a very intricate weaving of the Jews, how they were disobedient. Then he brings the Gentiles. They were disobedient. And finally, Paul says in Romans eleven thirty two, 32, he says, here's the bottom line. God counted everybody disobedient that he might have mercy on all. See, if there was anybody that wasn't, that wasn't disobedient, they, they don't need the mercy. They don't need, they don't need the unconditional love. But I'm telling you, this was a setup. God, God designed it so that everybody would be disobedient. We all were thrown into the same bin of disobedience. And he did that so that collectively he could extend mercy to us and give mercy to all. I, I, I love grace and I love mercy because one gives us kind of what we don't deserve and the other doesn't give us what we do deserve. And that, that's not a great definition of mercy. And I, mercy. Mercy doesn't give you what you deserve. That's, that's, that, that explains it, but I don't like it because it's like saying you deserve something in negative and you really don't. Because of Christ, there's nothing that you deserve that's negative. But I think it throws uh, some illumination on the strength of mercy. That no matter what you do, no matter how disobedient you count yourself, how disobedient you count other people, it does not extend past mercy. See, we have things that we need to manifest. We don't need to just collect teaching, more revelation. There are things that we need to express externally that have worked internally within us. And the pillars that I'm talking about to you this morning, you say, I know I've heard, I've heard that God's the father of all. I've heard, I've heard the, the pillars you're talking about. I, I understand that you heard them, but here's what I want to know. 
What is the depth of the manifestation that you're putting out into the world in which you live? Your, your circle of influence. Are you demonstrating the fatherhood of God of all? Or do you, are you still looking down on people? Are you still looking at them and us? I mean, those guys. No, he can't. He can't be their father. He can't love them. He didn't include them, did he? he? You mean his mercy extends to them? See, we have to demonstrate it, but we will never demonstrate it without it working in us first. Seeing that we were in that group that was disobedient, that we were in the group that by our merits didn't deserve to be included, didn't deserve to be loved unconditionally, and didn't deserve to have him as our father. That's how we viewed ourselves. He never saw us that way. He always saw us through his eyes. He always saw us as our father. He always saw us loved unconditionally. He always saw us included. He always saw us as mercy extending to us. And Colossians 1.13 says that because our minds were jacked up, we felt separated. We did things, we thought things, we behaved in ways that for us spoke of separation. And when we went to church on Sunday morning, the pastor reaffirmed it. If you've sinned this week, then you need to repent because God loves you, but he can't look on your sin. God, God will judge sin. God will, God will eternally punish those that are in sin. And so that built into us mindsets. And when we came into grace, all of a sudden, we begin to see this hyper radical, pure grace that God just, I'm pouring it out, I'm pouring it out, I'm pouring it out. In fact, it's going to take me the ages to come to show you how much grace and love I really have for you. You haven't even scratched the surface. You have you have no understanding of the depth of it. And let me tell you something, there's nobody going to be able to resist that. There are people that can resist it for 60, 70 years on this planet because of the, the mess that maybe they've gone through or, or the message they've heard. People don't reject Jesus. They reject the messed up message that's been presented to them. They, they don't accept and embrace a father that is judicial, that is divisive, that is uh, punitive, that is looking uh, uh, in heaven with his arms folded, is looking for you to mess up so that he can squash you like a gnat. People don't, people don't accept that. But when we start going through the ages, that's why it's important that you understand that's not the end of the story. That's what the church told you because it manipulated you into making a decision now. Death is not the end of the story. You're, you're an eternal spirit. Now, I will say this, how you leave this life, I believe, is the way you enter that level of consciousness when your earth suit drops off. But then it's just a development. And what you and I are doing now is we are developing as manifested sons of God and we're bringing other people because our assignment, our assignment is to bring people to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And in 1500 years, uh, it's, it, there's been no progress in that. Armenians didn't do it. Calvinists sure didn't do it. Universalists haven't done it. So it's remaining to the, to the people that get the understanding of the grace and the finished work and what that leads to that we begin to demonstrate it. Now, these first, these first four pillars, these four pillars have to do with the way that we see the Father and then how we correctly see ourselves as he sees us. See, you have to see the Father as the Father of all. This is how you, these four have to do with how you perceive him, all right? As Father of all, loving unconditionally, inclusive of all mankind, mercy that endures forever. That's how we view him. And then once we see him in the right light, we can begin to see us through his eyes. The reason we have not 
uh, seen ourselves well. The reason we have felt condemnation and guilt is because we have taken the view that we have of him and we put it on ourselves. that he is a condemning God. He's a judgmental God. He's an angry father. And so we be angry with ourselves. We condemn ourselves. We punish ourselves because that's how we see the father. So once you see the father with these pillars I'm talking about, they have the foundation of grace. Then you begin to see you as he sees you and you understand it's, it's all about who you be, not what you do. Your identity is divinity. That's who you are. That's who you be. You might not act like it. You might, you might act 180 degrees from that. It has nothing to do with who you are. Those are the fifth pillar that's developing, and I've been teaching on that a little bit. There's a fifth pillar that's developing, and I, I began to see this a couple of three years ago, uh, and it involves our ability to co-create. I think these first four pillars open us up to the idea that we are co-creators. We're laborers together with Christ. And all of a sudden, that John 15, the first five verses where he is the vine, we're the branches, all of a sudden that takes on brand new meaning. We begin to see the fruit that we're bearing comes through the connection that we as a branch have with the vine. And I think this fifth pillar is so dependent on the first four. We will never see ourselves as a co-creator until we understand the fatherhood, unconditional love, the inclusion, and the mercy of God. That, that lets us know that there's no separation. Romans chapter 8, verse 38, verse 39, nothing can separate us. Nothing can disconnect you. If, if you're not producing the, the vine, he holds the vine up. He brings it up off the ground. He elevates it so that it can produce more. And this fifth pillar came as a result, kind of what I'm teaching this morning. There was a period um, five years ago, maybe, that I was very discouraged because I saw so much revelation coming out, so much revelation being poured out, and there was so little demonstration. It's like all of a sudden people were back in the Word of Faith days. All they wanted was more knowledge, more revelation, uh, more, more understanding that they stored up for themselves, and I was a little bit frustrated that we weren't demonstrating it. And I read verses like 2 Peter 1.3 that says he's given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. I read verses like Romans 8.32 where it's Paul said that how shall God not freely give us all things because he's already given us Christ Jesus. That with Christ Jesus we also have access freely to all things. And I begin to see that and I go, we're not, we're not manifesting this. We're not living this. We're not creating it. And all of my prayers and all of the fasting and everything I had done for years was not really reaping the dividends that I thought the scripture said that we should. And so I began to, to really meditate and think about how in the world I, I, I connected what he was saying in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The things I had with life and godliness, I couldn't see them. And I began to think, how do I connect this, this guy right here, this flesh guy, with the unseen world? Because that's where the storehouse is. That's where the kingdom is. Everything I needed was in the kingdom. How do I, how do I make the connection? And began to really think about it and it just it really came by revelation it dropped into my heart that there are two things that I have that I possess that connect me to unlimited uh, all things possible and also to that un unvisible that invisible world one was my thoughts and my other was my imagination and they work together they're both they're both functions of the mind but I saw them operating differently it was about that time, and I've, I've given the testimony how uh, I was diagnosed with a widow maker, a blockage in my heart. They couldn't, they couldn't put a stent in. It was too dangerous. 
Um, they didn't want to do a bypass for just one, but that was the widow maker. And before I went through this whole process and they began to diagnose what was going on, I, I, I said, I, don't, I shouldn't have to receive this. And so I began to use my thoughts and my imagination. And I literally cut a heart out of the internet, a perfect heart, put it on the wall. And I would look at that and I would say, my heart functions to the perfection that God created it to function. And I forbid any malfunction in Jesus' name. And I'd look at that heart and I'd imagine it. My heart's perfect. I'd use my thoughts and my imagination. Long story short is, I, I had a natural bypass. I grew a vein around the blockage. Okay, after I've, I've lengthened the story out before. I'm not going to do it this morning. I just because I'm building a pillar. Okay, I'm building a pillar. But in that process, I saw th two other connectors that connected the natural to the spiritual, the visible to the invisible, uh, and those were my my heart and my words. Because I found my heart, I found that my imagination was developing this perfect heart and it was dropping that picture into my imagination. My imagination was, was developing the picture and then it went into my heart and my heart was growing that. And there came a day that I knew that I knew that I knew that my heart would be all right. And I was speaking that with words in my mouth. So I began to see those four connectors, my thoughts, my imagination, my heart and my words. Those were creative powers that God had given to me. And I'll teach a lot more on that as we go forward. But just suffice it to say this morning that you have a connector to the supernatural world, to the, to the invisible world, to that which is not seen. You, you have a seen body, but you have connectors that take you to the unseen, unlimited place. And that is your thoughts, your imagination, your heart, and your words. They each have a function. I'm not going to get into that this morning. I just want to drop on you that there's a pillar developing, a fifth pillar that I see, and I, I want to encourage you to think about it. I want to encourage you to begin to come into a place where you at least believe it's possible that you can create. Here's my message this morning. This journey's getting deeper. It's getting stronger. It's getting more revelatory every day. New wine is being poured into these wineskins, and we want to keep our wineskin flexible so that we can receive all of the wine that's possible. And I don't want you to ever come to a place where you think, okay, we have it all together. We have it all boxed up. This is all we need, because that's not the way the kingdom functions. This fifth pillar is not the end of the story. We will get the five functioning like we did the four. See, a lot of you are functioning right now in the understanding, and you're manifesting the fatherhood of God of all and unconditional love. You're loving people like you never loved them before. It's a work It's a work of grace. You, you didn't make you love them, it just happened. It's just a change that has gone on internally within you. That's how, God, that's how grace works. Grace is a divine influence that produces effortless change as you rest in him. And so the changes that have taken place in your life have been basically all effortless. Changes that have been in my life are effortless. You love people now that you before didn't love. You're extending grace to people. You're letting people in line ahead of you at the traffic or before you'd pull your car right up to the one in front of you so they couldn't get in, right? What, what caused that change? It's grace. The more you get, the more you're able to dispense. Being a co-creator, I think, is going to be a game changer because now this is it's going to make us become very uh, obvious to the world that there are things going on in our life that they are not producing. Now, we can verbalize the fatherhood of God. We can verbalize the love, unconditional love. We can demonstrate it, the inclusion, the mercy. 
But when you begin to build a life that you really want, the abundant life, Jesus didn't come to frustrate you and say, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundant. He didn't frustrate you and say that life is unattainable. And that, nor did he say you need to ball and squall and pray at the altar till you get that life. I believe he gave you that life for you to create in, in union with him. I am that I am is all things. And your I am is an extension and an outflow of the I am that I am. You're a creator. I don't know how to tell you that. You're a creator. You have created. You're just not coming to the place where you realize it. I see this as a game changer. These pillars are extremely important for the sons of God to demonstrate. So I took some time this morning, didn't dive off into any real deep things, but the revelation this morning is not in the hearing, it's in the doing. And there's no sense of you getting more revelation if you don't do the revelation that you have. So my challenge to you this morning is this, let's begin to show who we are. Let's begin to reflect the Jesus that we have on the inside. Let's begin to let flow out from us all that has developed within us. And if you've not taken the time to let all these things crock pot and grow and mature within you, I encourage you to do that because this is the path that he has us on. Amen. All right. I think that'll, that'll do it for this morning here at the Digital Cathedral. Wednesday night, we'll pick it up and carry it a little farther. Thank you for being with me today. Hope you have a wonderful, good week. Uh, and let's demonstrate, let's manifest. It's time that we came to the forefront and created change in the world that we live in. God bless you. I love you. And we'll see you next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral.